Because it's one thing to say, oh, think out of the box, think out of the box. And I say, well, that's well and good, but you still have to define the box before you can think outside of the box. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan, and today I have a guest who is into design thinking. He's an innovation trainer, coaching consultant. He's employed techniques including graphic facilitation in Lego serious play, like Lego is in the blocks. Apparently, we're going to find that out. That's pretty fun. And he helps people build stronger teams and become more than design thinkers. They are design doers. His motto is be brave and iterate. Dean Myers, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. What a pleasure. So tell me, my man, what is design thinking? Ah, that's a complex, <laughs> it's well, a complex good. thing we to ask. we got 45 so, minutes. Ready, go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, there are two ways of looking at it. One is a sort of a philosophical approach, right? Uh, and the other is the series of practices, right? So there's applied design thinking and there's where it comes from. Uh, it comes out of the idea that... Um, where you are going to be most successful in creating goods and products and services, um, it's going to come from focusing on the people who are going to use them and who are going to receive or gain some kind of benefit from doing that stuff. So design thinking came out of, uh, came out of the D school and those places where they were working on how do we make, how do we make things better for people that people really want are delighted by and want to use. So that's the, that's the philosophical side of it, right? And then the practical side was, so what are the methods that we use to come up with stuff, right? So that's the other side of design thinking, right? How's that sound for fast? <laughs> yeah, I think we need to unpack that. For <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, there's a lot to it, sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, I understand the philosophical side, right? And then the how we do these things. Because in a nutshell, if I'm hearing you correctly, design thinking is really about putting, it sounds like it's putting purpose into what you're bringing to the market in order to help other people. Is that sound a good rephrase? That, that is a good rephrase. And again, it, it, I, I left out the big thing that it, it, a lot of it started with this idea of human-centered design, right? Starting to think about human-centered design, meaning that's who we, that's, the purpose. That's who we focus on. That's what it's about. And that's who it's for. That makes sense for sure. How do we go about that? Because it's, I feel like everyone has answers to things that we don't even have problems for sometimes, you know, and that's a, a lot of the pro the products that come to market is like, what am I going to use this for? Exactly. So let's, let's swap the focus. Uh, let's, let's turn away from this idea of of the Edisons of the world, right? The the genius thinker who comes up with stuff and, um, you know, the if you build it, they will come attitude, yeah. right? I've got a great idea and I just know that if I get this great idea out there, everybody's going to love it. Everybody's going to want it because I do. Right? <laughs> so let's turn that around and say, what are people trying to grapple with? What are people trying to resolve? What are people trying to fix? What are people trying to do better or easier or make them feel better or smarter, right? So if we change the focus back to people and start from investigating people, right? That's where it's human-centered. 
So we changed the focus from the self to the people we wanted to create something for. And we start to investigate and ask as opposed to coming up with the great ideas first and foremost. So that's the starting place, right? Now I'm talking philosophical turned into method. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, so you train C-suites from what I see too, right? So how do you get that? I sure try to. <laughs> yeah, it's a, well, they're an interesting group, right? I'm one of them. So ready? If you were to train me, <laughs> you know, where would you start for something like this? Because a lot of this is, uh, I guess, C-suites, especially in large corporations, they probably have a fixed set of products already. Right, the, the, a lot of them do for sure. So, how do they end up getting shift? How do they shift from what they have, or maybe applying what they have in a more design perspective? Um, there's another aspect of of the bigger picture of design thinking, and if we if we look at the ways of dealing with the big enterprise, right, the C suite. If we call the C suite, you know, more than more than one, more the tinkerer who became an inventor and entrepreneur. <laughs> But if we look at that established business that's been around a while, um, then we realize that we're dealing with like the big ship, right? This big ship that's floating in the ocean. And in order to stay alive, it has to keep doing the things it's been doing for X amount of years. So the starting place is to accept that the big ship has to keep floating somehow, but that if we're going to turn the ship, right? Uh, we're going to have to dedicate some effort to uh, getting some people, potentially from the big ship, or maybe from outside, to start to um, to break down the thinking to that other direction. So uh, this is this is what happened with, let's say, IBM, right? Who doesn't necessarily produce a product, right? They produced services for years, um, and what they had to do was they had to. Uh, they had to stay on tap with what they had going on for a while to be able to invest in uh, finding people who could start to think differently, who could start to look at what people really wanted and needed as opposed to the old services that they were giving. Uh, and then when they could produce enough of that good new stuff, then they could abandon, as it were, they could let go of uh, the old products and services that were uh, no longer going to, you know, last them because there was less and less desire or need for them and shift into being the new, the new company, the quote unquote, new design thinking based IBM. So that's an example of a company. And I figured I'd give you an example or a case study rather than just say, well, you would do this, you would do that, but talk about from the facts, yeah, you know, of, of how that changed. That makes some more sense. It sounds like when you start to take this approach, you can really take a hard look at yourself you know, from a company perspective and say, am I really matching where the marketplace is going? Am I really matching the consumer? Do my pro my products today or my products or services today actually be what they need five years from now or even five weeks from now? Right. And how do I start right. to implement those? It's especially with, uh, with an enterprise level. I mean, you're using IBM as an example, right? That's like the Titanic, man. It takes a, that, it takes that, a that long ass right. time to turn the Titanic to, to miss the iceberg. And that's and so I, I bring that story out because it was actually a point where um, I did some consulting work with IBM when they already knew the writing was on the wall. Uh, I can't remember how long ago this is. The writing was on the wall that their consultant services were not going to be useful. Um, so uh, they attempted <laughs> they attempted to bring in people like me 
and try and take old line managers, right? Middle level people, old line managers, and do design thinking activities, right? <laughs> so the innovation theater is what we call it. Innovation how, theater. How did that work out for? <laughs> well, it didn't, right? Yeah, yeah. It didn't. You know, I spent, what, three or four days with them, uh, got insulted by at least half of them, the ones who were willing to talk to me. Um, and um, that approach they realized failed. And so they had to go to they had to go to that other approach that I just mentioned. They had to dedicate some dollars to a bunch of radicals uh, out of nowhere and say, we're going to set up a shop for you and you go ahead and try these new methods with all different people uh, and we'll accept whatever happens. But you got to cook up something that we can that we can shift over into. Um, it, it did also, I'll be honest, it turned into a bloodbath for a lot of for a lot of IBM employees. You know, uh, it, it was a tough it was a tough changeover it was when they talk about disruption that really was a disruption yeah. at a yeah. massive level for them now i'll flip the i'll flip the switch to another kind of company like um i don't know how well you know about electronics and audio and so far you know fair amount you look at yeah. okay so the the revolution in in audio let's say because i want to talk about this one company that came out of uh, australia right road microphones oh yeah uh right uh, very interesting. The guy who came up with it, he started from the design thinking approach. You know, he realized he wanted to record his son's thing at school or whatever. And the kind of microphones that were built into the camera equipment stank. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to try and cook up something better. Uh, and then he realized that there's a whole marketplace of people like him, you know, who wanted that quality but didn't need the top end of things, right? Um, and so he started a company to find that, we call it like the prosumer now. Oh yeah, yeah, right <laughs> Professional on. consumer. Yeah. Prosumer didn't exist in 1975 or 1985, really, you know? So, so he's, you know, he's that new kind of entrepreneur who starts from a design thinking basis oh, sure uh, there's a lot of people that, i mean even in younger generations now that know who road is because he, there's a lot of new vloggers that exist they're posting to their own right. youtube channels and you go to best buy or amazon and purchase a canon dslr video maker kit and they all come with road microphones they all right. come with the video mic go right and it's become synonymous now with vloggers road has so it's right. a, it's perfectly applicable there's a lot of scenarios in my industry too in managed service providers where i can see this because they're not following trends and within the services that are around right now are extremely highly commoditized they're, they're becoming this way so then in five years they really won't even necessarily need to exist anymore and so you, when you're talking about ibm dude there's an emotional attachment to the old way of doing things. And that's what a lot of midline managers tend to get involved in because they've poured their blood, sweat, and tears into bringing this product or service to the market for 30 years at this point. You know, and that, that's been their whole existence. So I can understand. That's why I joked when I asked, how did that work out? <laughs> when they wanted to, you to train right. them. Yeah. Right. And, and here's the irony. You know, I, I'm in the age category um, where I started working in technology officially as it were in um I, I bought an apple II plus in 1981 
and I worked for Apple from 1983 to 1985. <laughs> the f- first sales and tech rep for the Caribbean region. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so that kind of environment, right, yeah. of, of dealing, with, dealing with the end users all the time directly and passing that word back up to the shop, you know, that's sort of in my, in my technology blood. But, but that was, you know, that was the radical way of thinking back then. That yeah. was when, you know, when Apple created that um, uh, jobs, put aside a bunch of people and gave them a pirate flag, you know, and put them in a locked building for a month and a half. And they cooked up the Macintosh. Yep. Now I know, now I'm understanding your background because the Apple is the perfect, <laughs> perfect example of a, of a forward design thinking company. You know, yeah, I remember uh, stories of Steve Jobs getting just straight up pissed off when they came out with their first word processing app, which I don't know it was it it wasn't even Pages. I don't think it was back then. No, but it, Mac Wright. Uh, yeah, Mac Wright. Mac Wright. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> getting pissed off because it only had three fonts. Yep, and, <laughs> and it was the engineers thinking of it's like, well, well, why do people need three fonts? Well, that's the whole thing is that you're not actually thinking about the people. You're not building this for the reason the people want to use this. You're you're not designing it for them. You're just designing it to function. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you the I'll tell you one of the ads that I got to see that was never aired in the U.S. And I don't know. It was from um, Chiat Day, but they did it for the French marketplace for Apple France okay. in 1983. And I can tell you what the ad was about because you'll really you'll really love this picture. Is that uh, you, you saw you were sitting you were sitting in a classroom and you were hearing uh, a man v- speaking about this is this is a man he works in an office he writes notes and the guy would write notes uh, sometimes he takes notes and crumples them up and throws them away in a trash bucket he threw in a trash bucket but sometimes he has to retrieve the note back out of the trash bucket because he found something he wants to copy and paste from it and as the camera pulled back. It was a schoolroom full of little Macintosh computers learning man. This was 1983. Wow. This was Jobs' vision of what the Macintosh was supposed to be about. <laughs> this was supposed to be the future of computing. I love it. And right? I, the innovation that way. I mean, of course, you know, he had his own issues and inner demons that he had to deal with man but yeah just like a lot of geniuses typically do but it's fantastic for him to lock people in a room and say just put yourself in the shoes i mean last week in my board meeting they were saying we need to know what these individuals are thinking what they're feeling you know a day in the life of them as we're looking at you know acquisitions or even new customers you know what 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 really drives them list it out the, create the avatar because everything we do from this point forward needs to be centered around that person exactly that that's design thinking yeah i was part of best buy too and they called it Ah. it was a whole movement back in uh when did it start 2004 i think is about when it was and it was called their customer centric model Mm -hmm. and they developed these avatars across the board they even gave them names you know they had b2b which was best buy for business but then they had jill (laughs) because they, they gave all these individuals names i can't remember all of them but i remember jill because she was the 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 typical if you want to call it you know homemaker the the housewife if you want to use that phrase that really didn't go to best buy at all 
with the exception of her partner in life saying, I need you to pick something up for me on the way home. It was never a destination spot for her. So they designed an entire experience around Jill to where Jill now had personal shoppers. And one of the things that still remains to this day that you'll see in Best Buy parking lots are the front parking spots for uh, moms with children. You know, and that's all that it's not for families. <laughs> it is for, if you look at the sign, it's for moms with children. And that came out of just even designing services around that, a personal shopper, services around this character, Jill, as they were trying to develop this customer-centric model, which really was a fantastic way of design thinking. Yep, uh, that's, that's absolutely at the core of it. And the interesting, so that's when I said, you know, you had the theory, yeah, and then the theory come up with the methods. So now I can say, now that we're talking beyond theory, now we're talking about methods. Yeah, we are. Yep. So I can, I can say that. You can tell me what you just told me. I said, oh, that's creating personas, right? So we actually now have a whole methodology around the things we do to actually practice design thinking, right? But we had to come up with, or rather we had to sort of figure out what are the things we're doing that are making us successful about thinking about clients, customers, users, you know, people we are, people we are trying to serve, yeah. you know, whatever label you want to put around them, because, you know, there's service design, there's product design. Of course. There's so, experience design, like I was talking about. Experience yeah, right design, <laughs> sure. <laughs> right yep. on. There's a, there's a, I'm curious on your take on this, man, because price is always an important factor, you know, as we're talking about the products and services and experiences. And some, of course, there's a segment, and I think this was one that was in the Best Buy world too. There were segments to where the money just didn't matter, right? But then there were other segments, you know, and they had the names for these personas too. People that would not spend very much that always wanted the budget items as they walked into the store. And from a, that was still designing the experience, but from a product and service perspective, because my company is a cybersecurity company, and yeah. we're very much design forward thinkers. You know, and I, I even have a phrase that my people hear me say all the time where I say, we design everything. <laughs> That's what us, <laughs> all the way from, you know, of course, like graphic design, you know, on, on pamphlets or whatever, or social media to the experience when somebody calls in or walks into the office and what they visually see, you know, and even the phrasing that we use. Sure. With our clients and, and our prospects. It's all, that's why I say we design everything. And there's a, there's a point to where I've, I shifted because you would start to look at the market and say, okay, how much is this typical service going for? Right. And then there was a phrase that a coach of mine used a while back. I'm like, what do I charge for this? And he goes, whatever the market will bear, Rick, whatever the market will bear. Cause it, it came to, I made a choice to have this design forward service. You know, mm -hmm. and, and create this thing pretty much around their experience and their design. But then my costs went up because of doing that. And it forced me to become more efficient in some other areas to stay profitable. But I still kept that same thing saying we're not going to sacrifice the design. Right. Is there a, a threshold or a balancing act that you see? Because sometimes things can be overpriced and nobody will buy them if you go that route. But is there a such thing, I guess, as compromise? When it comes to design thinking, I think, you know, this was, let's go back to, you know, let's go back to, you know, uh, to the Apple example. Um, and then let's also talk the Amazon example, right? 
both are completely design thinking centric, right? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and they're part of, you know, the fang, right? You know, yep. Facebook, Apple, so on and so forth. But <clears throat> point being, you know, Steve's Steve con Steve's conceptual idea and and I really like to think of Steve as not a designer but a marketer first for sure in all honesty on, yeah. uh, and again having you know I'll be honest and you know I'm six months younger than him and I was around a little bit not a lot but enough to kind of get the flavor of where he was coming from yeah um and conceptually the feeling was that um it's about figuring out the value. What's the value proposition? Um, and if you look at business model generation and all these templates, you know, they, they kind of honed in on this, you know, finding, finding that value, that value point <laughs> and then balancing. And here's the balancing act. The balancing act is when you, if you really do the full, we'll call it the full chart of the business, uh, business model, yeah. uh, that typical one that we see. Uh, you do have to find, I hate to call it the compromise point, but you do have to find the tipping point, mm -hmm. right? Where, uh, where realistically, because you are dealing with materials, supply chain. Yeah, right on. So on and so There's forth. There's hard you know, costs I, I won't even yeah. talk about demand. <laughs> For sure. Right? <laughs> I won't even talk about demand because demand is something that's created after the fact, yeah. in truth. So, so you do have to find... Uh, you, you, that's part of the, you know, that's part of the physical boundaries, yeah. as it were. If you're if you're talking about either product design and in service design too, there's there's a different kind of tipping point in terms of the boundaries of how many people can you stuff in the box. I hate <laughs> to say it that way. That's a really rude way of of putting it. But it's it, it's. Uh, <laughs> Are you talking airlines? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there, right there is that there is that kind of thing it's like you know i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> bring your own toilet yes. paper you know it's, what is that ryanair like uh, that. yes <laughs> i don't know if you know the european ryanair i've but, heard of it uh, <laughs> yeah you know how far away can you put the airport from london <laughs> where it's not even worth taking a plane yeah. so <laughs> so yeah you th there there is there is the reality. It's like, you know, and I've done these kind of exercises of let's, all right, let's make the product radioactive. <laughs> now what are you going to do? Wow. Um, just, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, because it's one thing to say, oh, think out of the box, think out of the box. And I say, well, that's well and good, but you still have to define the box before you can think outside of the box. <laughs> right. And these, these are the, these are the constraints. And ironically, the constraints is often where the innovation happens, right? Where are the compromise points? And then so how do you chip away at, you know, uh, uh, the, 10 day, the 10 days it takes to produce the item when you really need it in five? Wow. Right? So as I say, these become, you know, how do you flip them around to turn them into opportunities? Um, and that's where the imagination and the creativity can be fascinating to watch people really cook up innovative things that's awesome being around apple where you were where, where did uh where did people derail themselves when it came to design thinking you know where, where did they get off track what are some of the i guess sand traps that you might have along the way um 
Because I'm sure it's easy to just go get sucked back into just the function of the thing, right? It's it it, it goes back to it goes back to falling falling in love with your creativity. You know, falling. You know, I hate to say that. You know, when the ego gets too big, yeah. But it, um, yeah, and it's very natural to to become excited about a thing. Uh, but you, if you do not go through the cycle, truly the cycle of 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 testing and refining against real people and real use, uh, that's. That's where you fall into the trap, I think. Yeah, then it becomes and, just like a laboratory experiment, pretty much, and it's only in that lab without any real use case. Right. Uh, so I wanted to bring out Amazon because Amazon does a couple of things that are very interesting, um, and this is why I, I throw in the whole you know and and iterate yeah. into my motto. Um, and this I learned from Jared Spool, who kind of really developed the user experience uh, strategy for Amazon uh, as an online service uh, in that Amazon's, at least this is what he said uh, at a big uh, South by Southwest in I think 2010 or 11, he said Amazon's homepage changes every three weeks. It is a constant design thinking experiment on the users all the time. You don't notice it, but they are um, they're flipping things yeah. around in little in positioning letters, so on and so forth. The buy this and two other items deal that they show all the time. There is no discount in that pricing structure, hmm. right? For They're sure. just, they just caught on to the fact that people were fascinated by you combining these things that looked like they went together well. <laughs> it was yeah. an ex, it was a, it was, I don't want to call it a trick. It was, it was an experiment yeah. that happened to have fantastic results and they're still doing it. And this is what, nine years later. And nobody complains yeah. that, why are you doing this when there's no discount? People <laughs> often buy, what is it? People often buy this with it or something like that is how they, <laughs> how they group right. those things. Yeah. I look at right. those, man. And there's times where I just like, yeah, sure. Add the other two things. Why not? <laughs> You're not getting a discount off it. Yeah, no, nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But I it's guess the, the point McDonald's I wanted to. Thing. It's do you want fries with that? <laughs> That's it really is the old McDonald's thing. So, so I wanted to bring out this idea that um, somehow you can, when you have these constraints, um, it, you can you can keep pushing. In other words, you can take the little tiny experiments to keep to keep pushing against the marketplace to you know rather than bet the whole farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a different kind of innovation that I wanted to bring out. There is the you know there is the the flip the thing on its side because you you got to get past the constraints and then there's that little quiet constant you know the constant quiet innovation stuff that goes on that will you know some it may last forever but if you're always trying these little pushes that's an important element of of trying to innovate too and i've been talking backwards about this whole Three horizon concept. Now we'll go back to this idea that I started out that there are philosophical ways of thinking about design thinking, right? And if you think about that big monstrous Titanic, that big ship that's in the water, 
um, and you say, well, we're going to keep producing everything we were producing, right? That's our horizon one. And we know it's going to die eventually, but, you know, we got to keep paying these people we promised to pay. And we also have to keep putting on the shelf the stuff that people are used to buying. Then there's the wild and crazy, <laughs> which is what we call the horizon three. Someday that wild and crazy stuff is going to become the backbone of our business. Mm. Um, and then there's that in the middle space, like, well, let's, you know, let's keep trying to extend the brand or let's, you know, let's change an ingredient or two or let's, let's change the color of the box or let's make it work just a little faster. So these, that's the three horizon approach in terms of methods and thinking. And that's, that tends to be the safest bet. And it's, it's complex, right? There's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, and that's why I held it off and didn't want to talk about it as well, you know. <laughs> no, that's okay. Are there different... I'm introducing it slowly. You know, there's a lot of thinking about what design thinking can be. For sure. Are there different groups of people that would exist in that? Because if we're going back to the, you know, for full circle on the loop of our conversation here, back to that IBM example, right? The, yeah. the midline managers would be that, hey, we're still going to put the existing stuff on the shelf right now. You know, and yeah. then they had to bring in an entire new crew, fresh blood, so to speak, for that, hey, let's tweak this stuff a little bit. Who does the wild and crazy? So what they did, as I say, after they failed in their experiment of, of trying to bring us, us wild and crazy guys in a little bit piecemeal and piecemeal, um, um, they got a quote-unquote wild and crazy guy, uh, and they set him up in a shop in Austin, you know, the land of South by Southwest and whatnot. Um, and they said, we'll give you X amount of dollars and bring in who you want to bring in and uh, cook up a whole new approach to uh, services and have at it and eh, take, um, take 18 months, take 24 months. Let's, let's see what you got at the other side of, wow. you know, let's see what you got on the other side of it. Which is, that's why I brought out, which is actually the big Amazon example. And so Amazon, in an interesting approach, <laughs> um, you know, we know what the big ship is, right, in Amazon at this point, because they're, they're really an established enterprise. And the big ship, big ship, it was started with books and then the publications and then the Kindle and so on and so forth. But... Amazon sets aside a big chunk of money to do wild and crazy. Um, wild and crazy is paid for by X amount of budget. <laughs> I mean, it's really established that way that Amazon really set themselves up to be yeah. this three horizon type of company. Um, once I, and I say that because it's not that Apple thought, it's not that Steve Jobs thought that way. He didn't, you know, he wasn't an organizational thinker that way. But I really believe that that Jeff Bezos is very much that way. So uh, you're, you'll probably see or you'll probably notice now uh, very openly the fact that Amazon is very quietly but very steadily working on trying to make some sort of massive impact in the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, why not? They've got distribution. They've got, <laughs> what are they missing? You know, so um, they can afford to do all that crazy kind of experimentation. 
Yeah, for sure they can. And then, then of course, a few years ago, they ended up becoming a grocer with the acquisition of Whole Foods. Right. You know, just incredible innovation in that company, too. Just knowing what people want and thinking that way first. It's fantastic. Dean, where can everybody find you, my man? Um, Well, probably easiest to find me, I guess, on LinkedIn first and foremost, uh, just because that's probably about the most stable social media. <laughs> I think that's around. <laughs> Dean Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S. Right. Yes. So find me there. Uh, as I say, I do wear a lot of hats. Um, uh, I have an online, uh, online media called VizWorld, V-I-Z-W-O-R-L-D.com. Um, it gets loud, it gets quiet, but I try to, uh, keep my eye on visual thinking, design thinking, innovation, stuff like that. It's a little quiet right now as I rethink stuff. Uh, so I say, you know, find me, find me on LinkedIn and you can also find me, of course, on, uh, Instagram and Facebook some, but, uh, that seems to be where I live. Good deal, my man. Well, thank you for being on today. I appreciate us diving into some of your past and also where the future of everything's going. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.